Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Anne Rose. Anne runs a legal and regulatory blockchain group. She created the group whilst writing an academic article focusing on distributor-led technology and GDPR. In addition to this, Anne was recognized by Legal 500 in 2022 as a rising star. She is a managing associate at Mishcon de Rare, and her mission is to help normal lawyers understand the nuances in tech. Anne has experience in blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and commercial contracts. So a very, very warm welcome, Anne. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Super excited about this one, particularly as someone who's so keen on the world of blockchain and all things Web3. But before we dive into all your amazing projects and experiences to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? This is quite hard because I've actually only seen one episode um, and I've like, listened to quite a few of your past guests who rate it quite highly, whereas <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, probably a three. Loads <laughs> 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 people were like, yeah, eight is exactly what it's like. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we're experiencing different things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, a three, I think you've watched one, you've given it a good opinion. And with that, we will move <laughs> swiftly on. So let's, let's start at the beginning, Anne. Tell us a bit about your family background and your upbringing? Yeah, so I, I was always a really curious child and my parents like really encouraged that. So I used to do like lots of projects. I'd always ask why, why I could see what I could see. Um, I used to spend a lot of my summer kind of doing um, science experiments in the kitchen, much to my mum's horrendous horror, <laughs> exploding <laughs> everything up. Um, and uh, and then there was one kind of time when I remember like we got our first, first computer and I thought this was really, really exciting. I wanted to like peer into it. I wanted to understand how it worked and I wanted to understand how I could see what I could see on the screen and I remember going with my dad to the library and I saw there were some books and kind of thinking about how you could program and I was like this is this is exciting I was like Let, let's give this a go um, and so I got really into learning like C plus and HTML and I wanted to be able to di- design my own website so I used to create like as I was like learning um, about space I'd like create my own space websites and it had different music for different planets and, and I really loved it and uh, it kind of my interest in technology kind of really went from there um, and uh, I just kept developing and um, yeah it wasn't until probably around yeah then kind of I was also very interested in blockchain when it started coming out but it didn't really kind of take off until I got to around say 2017 when you had crypto kitties and it kind of reminded me of like those old kind of tamagotchis and like new yeah. experiences <laughs> and I was like oh a bit of blast in the past and I was like oh you know kind of I what I just it was just I really loved the technology and this kind of idea of kind of thinking about, you know, digital assets and giving this kind of like property right. And um, I was like, this is quite exciting. And I started to delve into the world of uh, of blockchain and uh, yeah, it kind of went from there. That was my kind of interest in tech. 
Yeah, and so you, you obviously were born a techie, obviously loved tech from a very, very early age. I was just having images of, I think, our first family PC, which I think was one of those white tiny, the brand tiny back in the day, which was like massive thing um, in, yeah, the, it, in the lounge. It was like this thing that entered the house. But um, so it's great that you sort of talked about your tech interest, but I'd love to know sort of your legal interest. So do you mind telling us where your interest in the law started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did, I did a classics degree. Um, I, I loved Latin, ancient Greek, and actually over lockdown, I had a slightly weird interest of getting into learning hieroglyphics, um, which I absolutely loved and, and getting into Egyptology. Um, and so when I was there, I did as well, I did a dissertation, which kind of really looked at, um, uh, kind of, I loved philosophy as well. And I did a lot in Cicero and thinking about property rights and, and thinking about the law. I was like, this, this could be a really interesting career. Um, I also, though, was very interested in lots of other things. Um, so like sports and nutrition. And I did everything. I did work experience, you know, with, with MPs um, in the legal space, um, in sports. Um, I, I also did work in PR. Um, I, I did loads and loads of different things because I think without experience, you don't know what you want to do. And I think I think it can be really, really hard as well. Like when you're applying for a lot of vacation schemes, it talks as well about what experience have you had. But you're like, well, you need experience, like to <laughs> get experience, and it's it's hard. It's very hard. Um, and so actually, when I I started actually after the law um, after my my degree, I'd go off and do what was called the GDL. I think it's all changing now. Do my law conversion, and um, well, so just before that, I did a vacation scheme at um, Ulswang. Um, and then I also did some work experience as well at local law firm. Um, and then I applied for other schemes and I did kind of experience at everywhere from Baker McKenzie to Clifford Chance to Stevenson Harwood, um, lots of different ones because as well, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And Stevenson Harwood, partly I applied there because um, I had an interest in ships. Like my grandfather loved <laughs> ships. So I was like, I'm going to be a shipping lawyer. Um, and actually that was one of the reasons well why I applied to Reed Smith. Um, and so after I'd done some of the work experience, actually like, I, this is something I really want to do. Um, and um, But after the GDL, I, I wasn't quite sure. So I did do a few other things and I went traveling for a bit and, and I came came back and I was actually doing a bit of PR and I was also kind of writing apps as well for celebrities um, and uh, I found that quite fun and then I thought actually no I want to go back into the law so that's when I kind of applied to Reed Smith because I thought oh, the shipping space um, and it was a tier one shipping firm I got my training contract there and um, actually the where when it, where I was I actually we had to do as well with our LPC like um, a master's in business and as part of that, they also have a strategy element. And you get to have this amazing opportunity to have a secondment with a brand or a client of the firm. And so I was at Bauer Media. And part of that as well was my PR interest and, and things like that. And I met a woman there and she said to me, you know, if you're, really, if you're interested in tech, you know, why don't you actually think about data protection data protection technology, go for it. Like that is going to be the biggest thing ever. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll, I'll try that. So I decided to do my first seat in that. And that was next to as well, like the media, our media team, like film and TV. 
So I loved the data protection technology team. I really loved that seat. Then I did a comment at Debenhams. And then when I came back, I did two media seats in film and TV, both commercial and litigation. But I did a lot of like um, film TV financing, um, a lot of work gaming, um, uh, and just everything. It was fantastic. This incredible opportunity. And what I really loved about the firm is you got this you didn't have to, in the media space, a lot of firms, you have to pick, okay, I want to be a sports lawyer. I want to be a um, film and TV lawyer, or I want to be a game lawyer. And you got the opportunity to work in everything, which I absolutely loved. Um, and uh, and then I actually, I moved firms because I wanted to continue with that kind of variety. Um, and so I actually moved to a firm, um, which is called Simon's Mohead and Burton, or SMAB. And yeah, um, yeah so I got to... Um, work basically in three different teams it was basically in retail sports and tech and got to do everything and if you're it was one of those places if you're enthusiastic and want to get involved you know you could just get involved that's everything which is fantastic um and uh, i really like that and i love that you know and i do think as well as a junior lawyer it is important to keep up with that variety especially when you're you don't want to pigeonhole yourself and the more experience you can get in everything the better it is uh, and then from there, I then moved to Mishcom. And what I absolutely loved about the firm is they are so receptive to new ideas. I really wanted to set up a blockchain practice. And this was 2018. Um, I am a two-year qualified lawyer. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I was like, I, I would absolutely love to do this. I, I think it would be great. And they were so receptive to it. It was amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I moved there and I moved into their commercial IP team. So I do a huge variety of different types of work, everything from kind of commercial IP and data protection, um, but in loads of different sectors. So I work with a lot of luxury brands. Um, and I also work as well with kind of like, uh, companies in the hotel sector. I do a lot as well in the sports sector. Um, and then in the pure tech space as well. And, and it's been fantastic. And I set up the practice with a colleague of mine, um, Tom Grogan, who has now actually seen the light and decided she doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore. <laughs> and he's going to set up a different part of the business, which is called MDRX Tech. Um, and that is actually a where he's helping to, people to build their own platforms, um, wow. which is amazing. And he also helps as well with the strategy and development of how people might want to go about their projects, um, auditing smart contracts, um, doing all some of the really fun kind of niche things that we can do there. And that's like a separate business that he set up. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where we went from there. Um, and um, yeah, I, I loved all the different opportunities that were given. And yeah, I kind of really went from there. Yeah, and thanks for such a you know comprehensive overview because it's it's great advice that you're giving in terms of you know having that breadth of experience. You know, you've gone from like a, a comment on Debenhams to then going into all these other multinational, international law firms and some smaller firms, and you know really kind of figuring out you know what it is that you want to do and and kind of having that breadth of experience, and and then you sort of landed on your your heart being set on blockchain, which we're yes. going to now talk about. So let's yes. take a step back first, though, for people who maybe are still trying to get their head around this new technology. Um, what is blockchain in a simple form and how can it be used in law? So this is a really interesting one. And I think you've had loads of speakers on here who have talked about blockchain and, you know, like Charles, um, they have a fantastic podcast talking about it. And it's interesting. I, I had someone talk to me and they said to me, well, isn't blockchain just a form of 
bookkeeping really and they're like doesn't that just sounds really dull and i think one of the key things there's an amazing quote from mark anderson and i think he sums it up so well and he says for the first time it's a way for one internet user to transfer a unique piece of digital property to another internet user such that the transfer is guaranteed to be safe and secure everyone knows that the transfer has taken place and nobody can challenge the legitimacy of the transfer and I really think the consequences of this breakthrough cannot be overstated. And that quote I love because it's for the first time it gives us property rights. Yeah. And and this is what's exciting. And I think that is what's so great about it. Um, yeah. It's what I call the new T and C, you know, transparency and control. That's what blockchain mm. can give you, you know, and I, I really, really like it. So, yeah. That's I've a just really coined- interesting one because... Yeah. That's also, if you look at the transition from, say, Web 1, Web 2, and Web yeah. 3, right? So if you look at Web 1, we're very much talking about, like, read-only. Like, you remember, like, oh, like, it's basically, you know, you're talking about consuming data, right? Yeah. You know, and you've got MSN Messenger and things like that. And then we move on to creating content, Web 2, YouTube coming out, Facebook, you know, and it's such a change. And Web 3, what's exciting about that is that you actually start to be able to own things. And this is what's amazing i mean i don't know about you but i use like the brave browser as well so yeah. you know and when you use that as well it pays me to watch adverts i mean i'm not talking very much i mean like i probably make a fiver a month which then goes into my crypto wallet but it's, yeah. it's exciting and i yeah. think it's it's a new it's a new way of how we are kind of receiving and analyzing content um and yeah it's it's a it's great yeah, and I love how you broke that down because, yeah, folks, if you're listening in a very simple form, Web 1 was very much read, Web 2 was very much read, write, engage, and now yeah. Web 3 is read, write, engage, and own. And so it's exactly. super, super exciting where this new technology is leading us all in the whole decentralized movement. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about what a blockchain lawyer does day to day. Give us an example. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting question as well, because I feel like my role has changed as a lawyer. I feel like I have become what I I like to use the phrase, a transactional engineer. And I kind of, um, you know, if you think and think back as well to like the early days in Silicon Valley, um, and that was very much what what they were starting to do then. And and now I very much find in all the things that I work on, I am liaising constantly with like, the legal team, the tech team, the marketing team, and you're trying to basically ensure that someone gets things done, but I'm not purely just focusing, say, on giving the legal advice. If, let's say, we just use a pure project. So let's say, um, and what I love as well is I've been able to combine my interests in blockchain, specifically in this NFT space, um, with my love as well of luxury brands um, and working a lot as well with my clients there in that retail space. And so every time they're doing a project, we say, down and we look through the legal issues, the commercial issues, and the tech issues. And often I'm having to deal with all the people across the business. I'm not just dealing with the lawyers um, at all. I am having to ensure as well that everyone can understand and communicate each other when they're using this type of terminology. And you have a lot of the tech people who will, you know, throw out standards which, yeah. you know, some people may be familiar with things like um, ISO 27001 standards if you're working in information technology security. And if you're kind of, if you're also working in the blockchain space, you're interested in, say, Ethereum, they use ERC standards. Um, and sometimes they'll bandy these around and they'll talk about different types of standards and royalty mechanisms. And you'll have the legal team, but 
oh, um, what does this mean? And you're having to translate it as well between people. And so I often find like my work will involve like looking at all these different things and you cannot draft a contract without understanding the technology that you're working with or what you're doing, because, you know, and I will always say, even if I've got someone who's helping me draft, say a set of consumer T's and C's for a website, you have to do that user journey. You've yeah. got to go through it to understand it. And it's the same here in the space. If you're drafting something to help your client to talk about how something is working, you have to understand that and you have to do it yourself and you've got to go through it. And so we're really trying to encourage people to do that here as well at the firm. Um, so I would say like my role varies and I kind of get different queries coming in from day to day, which is what I love because it's always new. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's very much if we're kind of taking a project you know it will be looking at all these different things everything from drafting the documents giving legal advice um, looking at the holistic approach so you're taking as well that kind of commercial view um, liaising not only with the legal team but also everyone else in kind of intending because as well like if you're doing a big project I'm going to have to liaise with the marketing team to talk about how their advertising works. Does it comply as well with some of the new guidance that's come out from the UK Advertising Standards Authority um, and doing analysis on that? And so you have to just work with absolutely everybody to ensure it's all um, they have the right policy documents as well in place and, and so forth. Yeah, and it's super, super exciting. And you touched on something else that I'm super passionate about because I believe everything will be, you know, an NFT in some description in the in the future when it comes to ownership. But again, for people who are probably new to this, you know, what is an NFT and what could this mean for the legal industry? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I think NFT, one of the key things is non-fungible. Right. So you know, like fungible means you can trade one thing for another. So if I gave you a five pound note, you probably wouldn't mind if I gave you five one pound coins. You might be a little bit annoyed because it's heavy and you're carrying it around in your pocket. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but otherwise you're like, yeah, OK, it's the same value. Whereas if let's say we take a piece of artwork um, and I was going to give you an Andy Warhol and um, then you're looking at, say, um, another artist like a Renoir, they're not going to be the same. Um, and I think art is quite a good example of that. They won't have the same value. And one feature that you like of one is not going to be in the same. So that's what non-fungible is. They cannot be. They are unique. They are yeah. unique digital assets. And that's what's really exciting about them. Um, and I think one of the really exciting things that we've seen is the blockchain world is, is a community, right? And so it's constantly developing and the problems come along and they're creating new solutions. And you look at some of the old NFTs, they are awful quality, like yeah. terrible. The pixels are awful. And one of the reasons for that as well is because everything is uploaded on chain. So, you know, you've got like the whole, the digital asset itself, the underlying, let's say we're doing art as a very basic example of digital art and the representation of the NFT, what's associated with it, the underlying asset is a digital piece of artwork. They'd upload everything on chain. It's, it's time consuming. It is, takes up a lot of energy um, and it's slow. Whereas now as well, a lot of people just put in say a URL and the metadata, that is all an NFT is. It is metadata. And I think this is one of the key things um, that we're finding as well as a bit of an issue as well with consumers. People don't really understand what they're buying. 
Mm-hmm. They are buying, when you're looking at NFT, you do not buy, if we're using the example of digital art, that underlying digital asset. You do not buy that. You do not own that. You don't have copyright in that. Um, you are just buying the NFT, which is metadata, which there are loads of different ways of going about it, but it may just say contain a URL link to that particular where that underlying digital asset is. And often as well, you'll want to make sure that it's all then held and pinned to what's called an interplanetary file sharing system, which if you remember like the likes of BitTorrent and things like that, it's very similar, that kind of centralized system. And it helps because you see a lot of consumers who go like, okay, well, I can't see my NFT. It's this oops, broken link, like you might get when you've got a URL, standard URL website. And this kind of helps create some kind of extra safety precautions as well for where you're actually storing that underlying asset. And I think this is one of the key messages. And I think that's why we've had loads of um, things out in the press and why the Advertising Standards Authority is really trying to crack down in yeah. terms of thinking about the enforcement notice recently come out and they'll start taking action, I think from the 2nd of May. Um, and it's really trying to ensure as well that consumers understand, okay, what am I buying here? Um, yeah. What is the value in this? And ensuring that they feel well-versed. I was talking to a client the other day who said that they tried to buy an NFT from a luxury brand, and they just felt they're, they're very bright, and they just felt the whole process, they, couldn't, they just didn't understand it. They didn't understand how they were setting up their own wallet and how they're going about it. And they just felt they were made to feel stupid because they didn't feel the instructions there on buying it were very good. It's, it's so true. And even, you know, when, when we're having to, you know, non-fungible token is not an easy thing to understand. You know, maybe, you know, if you, you think about that because people will be like, well, should I know what non-fungible means? You know, and then you think about minting, like minting to do yes. something on the blockchain and then gas fees. Isn't gas what I put in my car if you're in the US or over here? And all of these, you know, so some, something to be said for, you know, the adoption because, you know, another initiative I'm involved with called Virtual Insanity, we're trying to bridge the gap between the mainstream and the metaverse because it's so wide right now you know in terms of this this knowledge gap and it's great that people like you uh, are doing so much not only to shake up the legal industry but give back through so many initiatives that you're involved in time for a quick break from the show are you a legal aid practitioner in england and wales specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters if you are this message is for you As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month, particularly when it comes to end of month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's Clio, C-L-I-O dot com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. Now back to the show. You have an inspiring story because you talked about at 2PQE, you said you wanted to create this this blockchain. You are now the co-lead of the blockchain group and you've kind of articulated a bit about what you get up to. But just for people coming in thinking, well, I'm too PQ. I want to influence or make something happen within my firm. What practical things did you do? What did you have to do to make that a reality? That's very interesting. Um, this reminds me of a when I was actually on my secondment as a trainee and my supervisor there said to me, it's all about your brand. 
it's all right back then my i was all about brand and rogers um yeah. and um he was like that this is something you need to work on and think about and i would say for junior lawyers one of the best things you can do is knowledge reading everything and when you read something make a product of it so if that's creating an article that you want to put out there do that if that's not your thing and you're actually much better at say producing podcasts create your own podcast on something that you've read but try and think about a deliverable that you think is great to show you've read it you know what you're talking about and if someone wants to ask you about it you can tell them chapter and verse about what you've read and why it's important and how you can help and i think one of the biggest things that you can do is from an early stage is thinking about how you can build up your brand and so it's kind of thinking about what you want to be known for um how you're going about it and like for instance even you mentioned kindly in the introduction about like one of the academic articles i wrote and one of the reasons i did that is because when i set up the practice to be taken seriously you have to make sure you really understand what you're talking about and yeah. so that's why i applied to write for an academic article to go into that and then that's what then spiraled me to think there must be loads of other people who are working in this space and want guidance in terms of either thinking about either understanding technology or understanding how their area, their sector that they're working in applies in terms of thinking about, okay, so how is this technology affecting my practice area? And yeah. then also thinking about, okay, so do we need changes in the law or do we need further guidance or things like that? And that's when I decided to set up the group um, with Tech London Advocates and approach the Law Society. And seriously, when I set up this group, I just emailed people. I emailed people working in this space and I hoped people would turn up. I messaged around 30 people. I didn't know if anyone would actually come and fortunately all 30 people came and were excited by the initiative and were like yes let's get involved and so I was like great okay and then that then led me to be it was very lucky to be approached to kind of work with Sir Jeffrey Voss the master of the roles to actually be part of the law tech delivery panel and their subcommittee in terms of thinking about drafting some of these amazing things um, and working on say like the online digital dispute resolution rules which we had come out last year um, and then as well, I work with Sarah Green, who I think is absolutely fabulous in terms of thinking about, you know, the, the Law Commission's consultation smart contracts, which came out last November. And it was fantastic to work with her on that and to talk with her about it and things like that. And it's just kind of thinking about like, the different initiatives that you want to do and, and how you best how there's no right or wrong right you know uh, it's it's working out what your strengths are and then playing to that and that's such good advice folks i would strongly recommend rewinding that and clipping that and just remembering that at any stage of your career because you talk about something i'm so passionate about the power of a personal brand and um, you know you can lose a job you can lose, you can have some bad luck, but no one can take your personal brand away from you. It's your insurance policy, it's your best lead magnet, it's your best conversation starter. And the more you invest in that personal brand, the more opportunities, the more things will come your way. And look, you're a fantastic case study of that. And you gave some examples as well. And people say to me, yeah, but Rob, I don't like video. Or hey, Rob, I'm not very good at writing. Well, use the WAV strategy, written audio or video, choose what you want, you know, and go all in on whichever one of those suits you best and build your personal brand. 
background. And so congratulations to you, Anne, because this is something we're trying to educate the next generation of lawyers and the current generation of lawyers of how to do it. And you know, you are one of the few that have achieved so much within serious law firms through building a personal brand and then being so proactive to use that to influence, to make things happen, to benefit your career. So really, really well done. Thrilling discussion. Thank you for sharing that. So Thank let's you. move on. You are also the director of Think Block Tank. So yes. can you explain more about this position to us? Yeah, absolutely. So this is more um, a, we're part of a NAPA. So we feed into that as well, which passes of like the European Commission, you're kind of looking as well at how we can be using blockchain um, throughout various different sectors. Uh, and my role as director there is, is, is about education. It's yeah. about helping people to understand the technology on an international scale. And that's also one of the things I kind of want to build up into actually the next report, for which I'm doing with Techland and Advocates and the Law Society, which we hope to release at the beginning of next year, um, which will have international elements in. So to look at what people are doing globally and how they understand the space in lots of different sectors. And so with a whole load of like, lots of different kind of like minded individuals, we are coming up with various initiatives and events um, and things that we can like think about to actually help um, help the sector, help the community, um, and, uh, and and go from there. And that's been a fantastic initiative to be a part of. Yeah, and it, it doesn't stop there either, because you were previously part of the uh, APPG blockchain and advisory board of the UK Parliament. Its focus yes. was a blockchain and other technologies to benefit from innovation. So can you tell us more about your experiences there whilst being part of the body? Yeah, I think that was a, a fantastic experience. And they do as well lots of different um, talks and groups. And basically, you'd have um, lots of monthly sessions and yeah. you look at different sectors in which blockchain can be applied. And you'd hear from people working in these sectors, whether it was something in the, um, the trade and emissions industry, whether we're looking at the hotel sector, um, anything and hearing about what people are doing in this space and also i think one of the things to remember as well when we talk about distributed ledger technology there are so many different types blockchain is just one of these and so it uh, people talked about it in a much wider context which i really liked mm. um and you know whether they're talking about directed acyclic graphs you know dag you know it, it's it was huge and so you got to actually talk with other kind of individuals who are either really prominent in the sector but don't understand the technology yeah. um or they're lucky enough to have both um, or you're just talking to other like-minded people who are kind of working in the space and just want to see how it's playing out in other sectors um, and whether we need policy papers, whether we need to be looking at changes in the law, um, whether we need kind of FAQs and guidance. And, and that's one of the purposes of it. It's kind of a not only an education element, but are there follow-ups that we need to do as a result of that? And that's why I thought it was fascinating to feed in on that. And if you feel very strongly about something as to whether you should or should not, it's great to be a part of that and to have a voice. And, you know, I really, I highly recommend anything you are passionate about and want to get involved in, you know, do because, you know, you get, you can, you know, people listen to you. Um, yeah. And no matter what early stage or late stage you're at, um, you know, everyone has the, the entitlement to have a, to have a voice and, and be heard. 
Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Plus one to that for sure. So, you know, you have done so much throughout your your career. And one of the things you talked about earlier in the conversation was you've worked for US and UK firms of all different sizes. Mm. So, you know, what have been the benefits of these experiences that have formed parts of your career? That's a very interesting question. And for me, it was so important to get that variety experience. Yeah. I wanted to understand what it was like at a US law firm. I wanted to see what Magic Circle was like. And I think when you're applying for different law firms, they really are all so different. And yeah. even though someone might say, oh, it's all the same, but everyone has a different culture. And until you experience it and you're actually there, you don't experience that culture. You can read all the prints about, okay, these are their values. Yeah. Often people have very similar values and it's very hard to distinguish between all of them as to what really excites you and what you want to do. And I think, you know, if you can go, I still think that starting at kind of like a bigger firm helps and having the opportunity and also, but you have to sit back and think about what you want. Do you want the opportunity to travel? Yeah. Do you want the opportunity to be seconded in to see what in-house is like and what other clients and, and working, really building up a relationship with the client? Because at the end of the day, whilst you can be interested in the legal side, it's also about bringing in business. And you can never start thinking about that too early, like we were talking about the brands, you know, thinking about, okay, what do clients need? How can we add value? And, you know, a law firm is still a business at the end of the day and it's understanding like, how you can do that. And so you kind of, by having the experience of going to lots of different places, you can have a feel as to, do you like working in small teams, big yeah. teams? I've always been someone who likes working in a small team um, and I've always been in a, in a tiny team. Um, and, and I like that. And, but also what I kind of like about my role is even though it's a small team, because of the nature of my work, I work with everyone across the business. So whether I'm working in tax or corporate, employment, litigation, fraud, and it's great because I get to meet all these wonderful people in all these different sectors and areas, and you get to really understand and know people at the firm. Um, and so then you're kind of thinking about, okay, what sector you want to do, what your specialism is, um, do you just want to be a firm? only focuses on one particular sector you know yeah. it's so many different things to think about um whereas like my husband's opposite is kind of much more magic circle firm um and very likes having a big team and yeah. it's like a and it's a core specialism um which, and uh yeah he's built up on on that um so yeah it's 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 I think it's so valuable to get experience everywhere because someone can say, it's like even me, I thought I wanted to be a shipping lawyer. And then I realized <laughs> that's not what I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. You know, very, you very go true. go in with one thing, you know, and even my husband, he went in being like, I want to be a corporate uh, lawyer. And now he's, he's a pensions lawyer. Yeah. pension specialist yeah so you, you just don't know you know yeah. um and it's great before until you get that experience you have no idea what you want to do and and where you want to go and you know it's never say no to anything always try everything yeah always be curious i love that and always be open yeah. to learning and, and trying and just doing things so I, I love that about you and being so proactive so you know currently Anne, you are the managing associate for michigan and previously yes. an associate so again for people who probably don't quite know what that promotion looks like how does the role of a managing associate differ from associate and what are some of maybe the extra roles and responsibilities that you undertake 
Yeah, absolutely. So I would say what some of the key things are, you end up, you're managing people and you manage both up and down. So, you know, you're there to help people who are more junior in the team to develop. um, And you help them not only maybe with their work, but any queries that they have or their personal development process or getting involved in different initiatives that they may want to do, offering guidance as well, whether that's uh, pure legal questions or whether it's from a career perspective or anything like that and then it's also managing up so it's also kind of dealing with the partners um, and managing the workload from them and then deciding whether that needs to be distributed down further um, and uh, or whether it's actually like you know okay so we've got these particular matters in who's mattering partner that but I will I will run the matters you're normally responsible as well for kind of um managing client fees making sure everything's set up you've done all like the conflict checks will be done appropriately you know all the stuff that you really need to do to ensure that you can actually do the work and deliver it you know all the aml checks have been done um everything's on file the files run smoothly and the client's happy one thing i always do as well is when we finish a transaction i will and the first time i did it i found it terrifying i will send a message to the client and ask them for feedback as to how they found the service and what is there things we can change are there things that we can do like that we did well are there things that we didn't do that well how did you like how we explained things and interestingly i had one client who i found out when i messaged him that he was dyslexic and he said that actually could you maybe produce advice in different formats? And so from then on, I actually decided to produce my work for him almost in a table format. Um, things were color coded um, rather than say a, a, a legal stream of advice, because for him, that's not a way that he was actually able to process information. And so it's actually being receptive to different ways and um, you might be able to deliver as well your content. Um, and so I, I found that really interesting. So th- those are some of the things I probably do in terms of like your new role. Um, and, and then you're always as well, normally like the first point of contact as well from other people across the firm. So, you know, if they're not going to talk to the, the partner, they'll come to you and then you yeah. manage it. You manage the transaction. You decide, do we need people like higher up in the space and more experience? Do we need more of the juniors? Do we need like um, to, people to get involved in that sense? And so you're just, you're basically the person there it's purely it is genuinely managing everything yeah. love it and thanks for being so thorough again of sort of articulating that and how that progression looks and, and, and what that looks like um so i want to to sort of ask a bit more on the blockchain side for people listening in because it is becoming more prevalent you know how can people looking to get into legal blockchain work maybe perhaps best prepare themselves for this and what advice do you wish you were given had you known at the beginning of your journey that you'd wanted to, to sort of get into blockchain specifically that's very interesting i i think you know it's it's one of those ones you have to learn all the time the space is changing all the time. It's not like if someone said to me they're really interested in contract law and you say, okay, look, great. These are things you can go away and read. And also as well, Chitty is just wonderful. You know, check that out. You know, you cannot do that in this space. And it's growing and it's changing so much. You have to 
um, embrace it wholeheartedly. You know, you've got to get involved. You've got to dabble in it, try a few things, but obviously as well, don't, don't spend money that you know you don't have, be careful. Um, and, but it's about, there's a lot of information out there and it's deciphering what's the good stuff from the bad stuff. And so, you know, people sometimes ask as well for reading packages. What, what, what sort of things can I read? What can I listen to? And there are so many podcasts out there and so many bits of reading material. And there are some really great ones. I quite like as well, Exponential Views, quite a good one. Um, and then there are also some, some great podcasts. Um, but I think if you're really particularly interested in the legal space, it's thinking about how, if you're already qualified, how you can apply your sector um, and knowledge specialism in that area to blockchain. Uh, yeah. And then it's like going, thinking about, okay, does it even work? Or are you trying to come up with a use case? Actually, it's, it's not even there. Um, and then it's thinking about, okay, so what events are there? What other people out there? I find LinkedIn is an amazing community. And I have people message me all the time wanting to either learn more or get involved in the space or, or things like that. And Genuinely, if you see, like, read anything out there, or you've like read something from a particular lawyer, or you've seen them at an event speak, or um, you know that they work in a particular sector, reach out to them, talk to them, and people are often quite receptive, um, and you know that they'll message you back, and they might have some great tidbits um, or some knowledge which they can dispel to you, or anything like that. And I think that's one of the biggest things: it's having that that courage to kind of go out. And one thing I would say, obviously I was plug my, uh, the legal, um, <laughs> the Tech London Advocates Blockchain Legal and Regulatory Group report, which is available in the Law Society, which is great to just, it's got a, a little bit of a, it's got a chapter in really understanding what blockchain is. Uh, and then it looks at, tries to cover as many sectors as it can. Everything from, you know, disputes and IP um, to thinking about financial regs to tax. I mean, everything. So if you do have an interest in it, there might be a sector there that, you know, you can get involved in. And if anyone wants to contribute and feels like there are sectors that are missing, then, you know, I'm always up for, for new volunteers and people who are interested in the space and want to get involved because that's fantastic. Um, and uh, we hope to have new chapters as well. And your particular interest as well in Metaverse. Yeah. And, and thinking about some of, you know, issues as well, possessory rights and location issues and uh, everything, IP and how you can protect yourself as brands. So yeah, so it's going to, it's going to be an exciting, uh, exciting few years. And I don't think this is, this is going to go away anywhere. So no. uh, yeah. It's only going to increase and become more and more interesting. And certainly if you're thinking about areas to go in within the law, you definitely want to be checking out Anne and what she's doing because, yeah, it's only going to heat up and it's exciting change and disruption coming, which I think is super, super interesting. So, And we have got through an absolute ton today and it's been awesome talking to you. Um, if people want to follow or get in touch with you about anything we've discussed today or as you mentioned about maybe contributing, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Feel free to shout out any social media or website links we'll also share them with this episode for you too oh thank you um you know i probably think email's the best it sounds so old school i, I think everyone <laughs> always messages me in loads of different platforms i can have like a, a discord message you know whatsapp email it could be anything uh, teams but um yeah probably email so it's ann.rose at mishcon.com um or message me on uh, linkedin it's just ann rose um you'll find me there 
I'm also on Twitter, which is Anne underscore Emma underscore Rose. Um, but I must confess, I am not an active Twitter user. Um, but please do feel free to, to mess me on there if you want to. Um, and those are probably like the three key ones I would suggest. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned Discord because certain people may not, who are not in the gaming or Web3 industry, may be like, what's Discord? So guys, go away and Google it. It's definitely a platform that people are using in the Web3 for community building. And uh, I'm going to send you a link to our Discord channel as well. And so it's been... Absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Really, really enjoyed it. So glad we managed to make it happen. So wishing you lots of continued success with your career and future pursuits. But for now, from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, over and out. This week's review comes from Stylish in the City 23. Educate, entertain, and inspire. Five stars. Rob has done an amazing job of educating, entertaining, and inspiring his audience. Rob is not only a dynamic podcast host, but also a captivating guest. I've had the pleasure of having Rob as a guest on my podcast, Mesmerizing Marketing, multiple times. Rob goes the extra mile to provide value to his audience. Highly recommend the Legally Speaking podcast. Thank you so, so much to Stylish in the City 23 for your lovely, kind review. From all of us on the show, we appreciate you.